Now let me start a popular story, which circulated on the internet a few years ago. Perhaps some of you have heard this before. There was a, an American uh, investment banker who was sitting on a pier of small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Instead of small boat, was several inside a small boat. There were several huge yellowfin tuna. The American com- compliment the Mexican with the quality of the fish and ask how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, "Only a little while." The American then said, "Why didn't you stay out there longer to catch more fish?" The American said, uh, the, "The Mexican said, with this." I have more than enough to support my family's needs. The American then asked, "But, but what do you do with the rest of your time?" Ah,、uh, the American fisherman said, "I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take siesta with my wife Maria, stroll into the village each evening, where I zip wines and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy day." Then the American laughed. You know, he said, "I'm a Harvard MBA graduate, and I couldn't help you. You should spend more time fishing, and with proceeds, buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you will have a fleet of fishing boats." Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you could sell directly to the processor. Eventually, opening your own cannery, you could control the production, the, the the processing and distribution. You could then leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then Los Angeles, and eventually New York, where you can run your Ever-expanding enterprise, and the Mexican fisherman asked, "Okay, how long would it take?" Which the American replied, "Probably fifteen to twenty years." But what then? He asked. The American laughed and said, "Ha ha! This is the best part. With the time and is right in your hand, you will announce in the night when the right time comes. You will announce the IPO." Initial public offering and sell your company's stock to the public and become a rich, rich millionaires. Millionaires. Then what? The American said. Then you will retire, move to a small coastal fishing village where you sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siesta with your wife Maria, stroll to the village in the evening time where you zip wines and play guitar with your amigos. Americans said, "Isn't that what I'm already doing now?" That's true, isn't it? Oftentimes, people have been busy pursuing something they think it is important in their life, but at the end, they will just find simply go back to square one. Over the last twenty years, I have had many opportunities to travel back to China. To the leadership training, discipleship training, biblical counseling training over there, and I found this 
was a prevalent phenomenon among many Chinese people. Many people have great ambitions and make big plans for their lives, but without God, without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, they eventually find that their lives are just vanity of vanity, or is vanity. Now may I invite you to open your Bible once again to Psalm 90. It's our brother led us read earlier, but I've entitled my message this morning as What is Our Lifelong Pursuit? Or What Should Be Our Lifelong Pursuit? I'm reading from the ESV English Standard Version. Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return men to dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You swept them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it renewed. In the evening it fades and withers, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our inequities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our ears to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their spam is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in a a morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children, that the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You may have noticed that Psalm 90 is stated as a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Moses was the prince of the most civilized and developed country about 3,500 years ago, Egypt. As Stephan, the first martyr in the early church, described in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, he says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Moses gave up his throne of Egypt, although in his time he was most likely to become one of the pharaohs of Egypt. But he responded to God's calling and became the leader of the Israelites. He lived a total of 120 years. 
And this is how the author of the book of Hebrews describes Moses in Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 25, by faith. Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to rejoice the fleeting pleasure of sin. So, Psalm 90 is the only psalm which clearly denotes Moses' authorship. And as we read through, we can see that this is a psalm about life. According to common sense, we would think, if you, one person wants to talk about life, well, Moses, at least he should be the most qualified person to talk about human life. Isn't it right? No matter from the pres- uh, perspective of social status, education knowledge, age, or even life experiences. I cannot think anyone else would be more qualified than him. However, Moses did not talk about human life from these angles. Instead, he started with the sense of God. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Why? You might think, why did Moses start this psalm by speaking God our Lord? Simply because to talk about human life apart from God, our Creator, It is a totally waste of time. Therefore, we are going to take a brief look at what God, our Creator, intends to teach us about our human life through Moses. And at the same time, we are going to ponder together on a very important topic. What should be our lifelong pursuit? What should be the ultimate goal of our life as a whole? And I'm going to give you from an Eastern point of view. I'll give you a brief outline here for this psalm first. From verses 1 to 3, it was the introduction. From verses 4 to 6, Moses pointed out that our life is really short. From verses 7 to 10, Our life has a sad ending. Now, verse 11, remember this. Verse 11 is a pivotal verse of this whole psalm. The turning point. And then from verses 12 to 17, there's a hope. There's a biblical hope for our life. In verses 4 to 10, Moses used seven metaphors to emphasize the sinner's life under the curse. Not only is it really short, but it's also very sorrowful. And Moses also uses seven characteristics to describe what a sinner's life looks like. So I would invite you to pay special attention to the word like or 
as. That's his metaphor. From verses 4 to 10. Are you ready? Okay, let's begin. First of all, as I said, Psalm 90 verses 4 to 6, to point out that our lives is really short. And there are four metaphors here, four of them. Now, number one, or number one metaphor, like yesterday. Please look at the first half of verse 4, which says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as, this is the first as, as yesterday when it is past. 80, 90 years of time means nothing can compare with eternity. No matter what your accomplishments were in the past, they are now all gone. Well, yesterday once more only exists in a pop song. What is the characteristic of yesterday? All the memories come back vivid in mind as if they happened just yesterday. Through history, there have been many people of high status and enormous achievement who also possess great knowledge and wealth. But who are they? They're all now gone. There was once an ancient uh, imperial China, a man from the remote country who wrote a letter to a powerful relative of his in the capital city, who was the prime minister back that time. He requested a top-down intervention and his dispute with the neighbor over a long war, which was served as the boundary line separating two huge properties. And this countryman was extremely upset because his neighbor was scheming to use the war to encroach on his territory. He presumed that his close relative, as the prime minister back then, would be righteously indignant and step in to intervene, using his power and his high status. To his surprise, the prime minister advised him to think a different, in a different light. He said, since you have such a huge property, we're talking about several hectares in a country, what is the big deal even you give up three feet to your neighbor when making this boundary wall? In the end, the wise old man who was the prime minister, wrote him a little poem telling him to draw a lesson from Emperor Qin Shi Huang, China's first emperor in history, who conquered six other countries, seized their lands, combined them with his own kingdom, and built, everyone knows, there's a 10,000 miles great war to defend his territory. 
at the end, he exhausted himself and died at age of 50. And here's the poem the Prime Minister wrote back. And this has been translated. I'm not going to talk in Chinese, though. This has been translated into English by my wife, Dora. Here it comes. From that far, you have sent a letter full of fury and fright all the way to the capital for your three feet, a three feet little right. Think of the Great War. Remember Emperor Qin's a jewel's flight. A jewel's fight. His mighty war stands, but the emperor is gone from our sight. Our life just really short, like yesterday. This was the first metaphor. The second metaphor, that is the second half of verse 4, like a watch in the night. It says, for a thousand years in your sight, ah, but as yesterday when it was passed. And then he says, or as a watch in the night. Human lives are simply too short just as a watch in the night. The watch in both ancient Jew, uh, Jewish time and Roman military term were, was three hours. But the ancient China term, a watch in the night, was set for two hours only. Regardless. A watch in the night is too short for, the young, for, for young people and might be too long for the elderly people. For the young people, nighttime means they've just started an online game or the party has just started. And time passed strictly before they even notice. Uh-oh, it is almost daybreak. For the elderly people, however... Sometimes a watch in the night could be too long as they stay awake and keep conscious of each and every hour. Here, those who are 55 and above know exactly what I'm talking about. And what is the characteristics of a watch in the night? Typically, it means life slipped through your fingers without your notice until one day, you realize that everything might be just too late. That's the second metaphor. And the third metaphor, that is like being swept away by a flood. And this is the first half of verse 5, which says, you swept them away as with a flood. When the flood comes, it comes so overwhelmingly fast that there's no way you can avoid to or to resist it. As a Chinese idiom, it says the pour out water cannot be taken back. Just as the pour out water cannot be taken back, in the same way, everything that the flood washes away is gone forever. And what is the characteristic of being swept away by the flood? Many, many things in our life are irreversible, irreversible, or irreversible. Gone are the days. That's the third metaphor. Number four. Number four metaphor, that is, they are like a dream. This is the second, second part of verse five. You swept them away 
as with the flood. They are like a dream. King James Version translated, they are like, they are as asleep. For those who are far asleep, a dream is just too short. A key point here is human life is just like a dream of living a fool's paradise and then waking up with empty hands. Charismatically, here, a dream means that human life just like a good sleep with an imaginary dream, an empty dream. That's number four metaphor. Number five, that is like grass. It's the third part of verse five till verse six, where it says like, like grass that is renewed in the morning, verse six. In the morning it flourishes and it renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. What is Moses talking about here? Most of us, don't see the full picture, despite by Moses' description here. For us modern suburban residents, a familiar sight is the lush green grass. Especially for me. I've been living in Australia for over 30 years. It seems the grass never Go away. <laughs> we often need to spray weak killers to get rid of them. Until, until 2007, I went to Xinjiang province, the northwest province of China, surrounded by the desert for a short mission trip. This was the first time I heard about ephemeral grass in a desert area. The seeds of this particular ephemeral grass crouch under the sand or whatever type of dry soil, waiting, waiting, waiting for the rare rain. When the rain finally comes, it just needs a little bit of water. The seeds of this particular grass will bud Flower died and dry. The whole process is just three or four days. When I heard about this, I suddenly it suddenly dawned to me that Moses was using this Palestinian ephemeral grass as an illustration to describe the shortness of life and the characteristics of this grass is the reflection of human life, which is, it will inevitably wither and dry up. Now we move to the second section. From verses 7 to 10, here Moses gives us two more metaphors to express the fact that our life faces a sad ending. Why? Verse 9 says the reason. Verse 9 says, For our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our ears to an end like a sigh. So here's the number six metaphor. 
like a sigh, ending our ears with a groan, which is NLT translates. Have you ever sighed? I believe all of us have, even the little children. What does the man sigh? Because sin causes agony and a feeling of helplessness. Helplessness. <laughs> Can you remember why you sighed last time? Some kind of agony. Is that right? Isn't it true that many people, when they come to the end of their life journey, they express a lot of regrets over the past days? But then, it's just too late. And they only end up with a sigh. Characteristically, a sigh means that some people may even lose their life in just a split second, whether they were young or old. How tragic. And verse 10 says, the year of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their spam is like toil and trouble. And as Probably most of you use translates as, yet their pride is only trouble and tragedy. That's right. We can be proud of nothing but labor and sorrow. There are two words here, toil and trouble, or uh, trouble and tragedy. The first word in my ESV version says, the toil refers to labor stress. Physical sufferings. And the word trouble refers to sorrow, the mental and emotional sufferings. And even so, there's yet another and the last metaphor. Number seven, we fly away. Verse 10 goes on to say, they are soon gone and we fly away. After one's toil which means labor and stress, and trouble, which is mental and emotional sufferings, all will end up in a place six feet under. Why? Why do we all end up flying away? Please look at it, verse 3. We purposely, I purposely uh, previously skipped this verse earlier because we want to refer to it here. Verse 3 says, You return men to dust and say, Return, O children of men. For man returns to dust. It's not too hard to understand. That's our physical death. So the characteristic of us flying away means that death is inevitable result. And no one, no one can escape such an ending. There will be no place to run or to hide. Why? Verse 7 says, why? Verse 7 says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. Sinners as we, 
We all live a life under the anger and wrath of God, our Creator. Verse 8 reveals the reason behind all this. You have set our inequities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Oh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Moses has specifically used two words here, inequities and secret sins. These two words cover all sins. Outward expressed as well as those hiding in persons' hearts. In other words, sin has permeated every corner of this world and every aspect of the human life. And since God is the holy judge and he's the almighty God who searches the heart and tests the mind of every, every man, he cannot turn a blind eye to all these inequities and secret sins. So the consequence of all this is what it says in verse 9. Verse 9 says, For all our days pass away under God's wrath, and we bring our ears to an end like a sigh. What can we really pursue in our holy of the whole lifetime? Again, let me just recap. Verses 4 to 10, Moses used seven metaphors to emphasize the sinner's life under the curse. Not only is it really short, it is also very sorrowful. The seven things are like, firstly, like yesterday. Second, like a watch in the night. Third, like being swept away by a flood. Fourth, like a sleep. Fifth, like grass. Sixth, like a sigh. Seven, we just simply fly away. Now, if the Bible stops here, then we would all be doomed. We will all perish forever. However, our God is the God of hope. He is the God who gives us hope. As we mentioned earlier, verse 11 is the pivotal verse of this whole psalm. In other words, there is a turning point. Have you noticed? Verse 11. It says, Who considers the power of anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now, fear of God is the turning point of a human life. All human life. Just as it says in Psalm 111 verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This will bring us into the third section from verses uh, 12 to verse 17. Verses 12 to 17 tells us there's a hope. There's a biblical hope for our life. When we turn back to God, our Creator, there's a real hope. The Christian outlook of life is not negative at all, but rather positive. Remember, as we have noticed, Psalm 90 is stated as a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Therefore, from verses 12 to 17, Moses 
has shown us seven prayers that we shall learn from the training, we shall learn for the training of a godly life. And let's take a look at them. Number one, prayer. Number one, prayer for the heart of wisdom. This stated in verse 12. Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I'm convinced the word wisdom here means look at our present life from eternal's point of view. And many years has passed, and, and, and as I said, I'm pastoring a, a Chinese church and been to China many times for training. People just ask me, how can I live a better Christian life? I said, look, from the biblical point of view, you understand it, the eternal first. Then from the eternal point of view, you look back to this life. I guarantee you will live a great life. But if you try, if you live a current life, you try to understand the eternity. Forget about that. We do not such a vision. We cannot see that far. So, have you noticed? It's rather strange. Moses does not pray to God to give us a heart of wisdom so that we can number our days. He turned it around. Instead, he prayed, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Well, in conjunction with the earlier part of this psalm, we can see that to number our days means knowing the shortness and the sadness of our life. Therefore, the priority of our life should be solving the problem of our eternal destiny before we try to deal with any problem in our current life. So this is the first point. Moses, pray a heart of wisdom. Second point, pray for the grace of forgiveness of our sins. That's Number thir- uh, verse number 13. Verse 13 says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your sermons. The word pity here is from the Hebrew's word naham. I probably pronounced wrong, but which it often translated as repent. Clearly, Moses is teaching us to repent our sins before God through prayer. So that based on our repentance, God will give us the punishment, will not give us the punishment that we deserve. We can find a classic example from the book of Jonah, where the people of Nineveh believed in God and repented of their sins before God by covering themselves with sackcloth and sitting in dust. Book of Jonah Chapter 3, verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of disaster that he has said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God, our Creator, never, focused, never forced us to accept the salvation in Jesus Christ, but he always calls us with a tender, merciful, and loving voice. Come back to me, my child. Come back to me. 
repent and receive the salvation, God says, that I have prepared for you in my beloved Son, Jesus Christ, through faith. When Moses said return, he is calling on all people to return to God. Therefore, it is important that we need to return to God with repentance. In contemporary church, repent or repentance is a lost doctrine. People try to preach as a chief, very cheap gospel. As long as you believe in God, you will be saved. But when Jesus came to this world, remember what he preached? Repent, believe in the gospel. So this is the second one. Three, the, number three, Moses teaches us to pray for satisfaction with God's mercy and his steadfast love. This is stated in verse 14. It says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The word satisfy is from the Hebrew word sabah, which means fulfilled, sufficed, or filled to satisfaction, which means only the mercy and steadfast love of God can make us satisfied and give us real fulfillment. Those who have experienced suffering and tasted life's bitterness will thirst most for God's love and His mercy. We will all inwardly thirst, so thirsty until one day, you and I submit ourselves to the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ, of course, by the work of the Holy Spirit, then, then we become satisfied in Him, our Lord. Our life is no longer under the wrath of God, but instead filled with sweet and satisfying experience or experiences. Have you noticed this verse? That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. That's verse 14. Verses, take a comparison in verse 9. This is a contrast. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Verses, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, and we are dismayed. What a great contrast. Between the two. So this is number three, prayer. Number four, Moses teach us to pray for the gladness of victory and the affliction. Number 15, uh, verse 15 says, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. This verse tells us that all of the life's affliction and tragic, and sufferings are ordained and orchestrated by God himself. The troubles, difficulties, afflictions, sufferings are part of our life and delegated to us out of the Father's care. Remember this. These sufferings and afflictions serve as a reminder to all 
Christians that this world is neither our final destination nor our eternal home. Moreover, just as the author of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, he says, But God, our heavenly Father, disciplines us. Well, the word disciplines, it is a nature, a neutral word. It can be translated as train, teach, instruct, or even chastise. And it's the same word like the Old Testament says, train your child. It's a train. So, but God, our Heavenly Father, disciplines, trains, teaches, instructs, and chastises us for our good so that we may share His holiness. This is number four. Number five, Moses teaches us to pray for a godly descendants or offspring. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Here, Moses is reminding us that it is a, it's a t- task for all us Christians. Our descendants, our offspring should know God and understand, understand the glorious power of our God. I believe Those who have children or even grandchildren, or perhaps great-grandchildren, would know the importance of this prayer. I myself is blessed. And I remember, although my grandfather passed away away when I was four-year-old, my father told me it was my grandfather's prayer The generation after generation, oh God, don't let them go astray. And of course, it's by God's grace that in my grandfather's third generation, there's a pastor serving our great God. Dear beloved, this is the it is a sobbing reminder that even a biblical warning for all of us what we preserve and pass on to our children and probably great children, all the generations to come should not only be the wealth of this world, but more importantly, the faith in one's life, the godly direction of life. This is number five. We're almost there. Number six, prayer for the testimonial of the beauty of our Lord. The first half of verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. It should be our prayer. As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse, 12, uh, verse 20. That will full courage now as always. Christ will, will be honored in my body. Whether by life or by death. No matter how Life treats us. We should not be overwhelmed or scared by the sufferings and difficulties that seem to devour us. Nothing should make us withdraw or shrink from our faith in the Lord. As Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39 says, But we are not of those who shrink back 
and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The best testimonial of the Christian in this world is the testimonial through the hardship what we have gone through. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and 37 remind us. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And also Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is the great secret of all Christians who have been strengthened by God when facing troubled situations in this world. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. With this strength, we will stand firm in whatever the circumstances or whatever situations we are facing. This is number six. Number seven, last point. Pray for effectiveness of our work in the eternity. This is the second half of verse 17. Moses says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And he says, and establish our work, the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Finally, Moses has come to the recognize that the greatest enjoyment of a human life is to serve God. And this kind of work will have eternal effects. Only the work established by God has an eternal value. When we were still under, uh, unredeemed sinners, none of our work could last into eternity. However, as regenerated Christians, we know God, we know God through faith, and we now work to glorify Him. So whatever we do now carries eternal significance and will last forever. It is, it is only when we are committed to such work of eternal value that we can boldly ask the Lord to establish, to build and strengthen what we do. Then we shall have no regrets at the end of our life journey. I hope we all pray the same prayer like Moses before God and come to realize that the greatest enjoyment of our whole life is to serve God. Again, let me recap. In Psalm 90, Moses used seven metaphors to show us the characteristics of shortness and sadness of life for those who do not know God. Firstly, like yesterday. Second, like a watch in, in the night. Like a flood, that's number three. Number four, as a sleep. Number five, 
like grass. Number six, like a sigh or like a moan. Number seven, just like just fly away. However, as we have mentioned, verse 11 is the pivotal verse of this whole psalm. There's a turning point. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you, God? The fear of God is the turning point in the human life. And again, in Psalm 90, Moses used seven prayers to teach us ways of seeking a godly life. Once you and I learn to look at the shortness of our life from the eternity point of view, when we turn back to God, our Creator, there's a real hope. The Christian outlook of the life, as I said, is not negative, but rather positive. The first prayer is to pray for the heart of wisdom. Verse 12, pray for the grace of forgiveness of sin. Verse 13, pray for satisfaction with God's mercy as early as possible. Verse 14, pray for the gladness of victory in our life. Verse 15, pray for the godly descendants or offering. Numbers, uh, verse 16, pray for the testimony of the beauty of the Lord, first half of 17, and lastly, pray for effect in eternity as the value of our lives is to serve our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, not only that, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 19, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Dear brothers and sisters, what a great blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this morning. We have this privilege to worship you together and hear your word. May your word penetrate in our hearts and help us, train us, teach us to live a godly life that is pleasing to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.